Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. That's how it is. You have to not decide for the artist. You let them decide. And the magic continues. Akukwa has already climbed to number three on Apple Music's Top 100. Thus, this solidifies Safu Newman's place on the music scene. For Joy News, I am Jacqueline Ansuma Iobo. And that's how we end showbiz. That's how we wrap up the bulletin this afternoon. My name is Aisha Prime. Log on to myjournline.com. There's more of the news and updates of all the developing stories. Do enjoy those of our programs.
uh, doing a review of what happened last night. Well, in the last 24 hours, we've had loads and loads of conversations about the Black Stars and uh, the performance that they posted against uh, Egypt. It sure was one that drew loads and loads of conversations about different aspects of the game. Also, Nigeria sending a shockwave through the capital, Abidjan, and many other cities across Ivory Coast because of that 1-0 victory. Uh, that they recorded over the elephants of Ivory Coast. Now, what are the implications of that one as well in that first group? And uh, how are we going to move along? Well, all of these and more in terms of analysis are coming up here on AFCON today. Thank you very much for joining us. And, of course, Victor Achu Tamaklo and uh, Kwejo Ejejima are already seated and ready uh, for the action. Well, we'll bring you uh, some of the highlights of those games. And then after that, we zoom in straight on the analysis. What went wrong? What did we get right? How do we get it corrected? Because, remember, it's down to calculations at this time. And it's a must-win for Ghana against Mozambique in the final group game. What happens? Well, the Kudus effect. We were craving for it. It came and Kudus lived up to it. But the conversation is also bigger than that. The whole team has to perform as a unit. And is that happening? Well, all of these will be discussed right here on the show. Welcome. And in a few moments, we get down to the analysis. For now, it's some messages. game on the continent. The Africa Cup of Nations. This is absolutely incredible from Bunajar. Mane! Senegal! Our African champions! Absolutely delighted with the goal for his country. Still Salah. Little crossover, tries to finish it! Egypt slips in the game! Super, super, super goal from Dede Ayu. And it's absolute madness that's taking place here. He's got it! Looks absolutely distraught. Looks ball in and there's 3 0. get down to the conversations but before that um let's take a look at it i know you know some of you may cringe after seeing some of the errors and all of that but we still have to look at it and put everything in context gentlemen good to see you good to see you uh, welcome to the show um let's let's do the highlights again let's do the highlights again ghana versus egypt stats show if gabon blows the whistle doesn't get it there's a great chance it's uh, delivered and it's not in the back of the net, Afori just uh, easily takes it from our short. And uh, this is the man you've got to worry about. Oh, my word! Kudus is the 
He's back. He's back. Mohamed Kudus. The skill. The panache. It's Egypt nil. Ghana one. Jordan Ayew with the corner into the penalty box. Smashed away onto the roof of the net. Yep, get it over the top. I'll latch onto that. High ball over the top and there's danger. Oh, it's in the back of the net, surely. There's the goal. There's the goal, but no. There is a flag up on the other side. Cuts inside, a little bit of space. Puts it on his right foot. Is he going to go for the shot? Needs to go for the shot, maybe. Does go for the shot. Great save from a Afori. It's going to be pulsating. So they're giving the ball away. Oh, that's a back pass. It's in the back of the net. Mahmoud. Mahmoud. Mahmoud has done it. Egypt equalise! Gets the ball, oh, it's Kudos, Kudos, left for the shot, is at the back of the net! Less than a minute later! Kudos, Kudos, he's the man, he's back in business! Trying to play the 1 2, a little bit of a misunderstanding, but Chesigay, Chesigay's got the ball back! It's in the back of the net! This is just madness! This is madness! We absolutely love it! Remarkable! There's the delivery. Can they get their goal? Can they get their goal? Oh my word, that was super close. Final score, Egypt 2, Ghana 2. Ghana. As we get this game underway, Stacho of Gabon blows the whistle. Doesn't get it. There's a great chance. It's uh, delivered and it's not in the back of the net. Afori just uh, easily takes it from our shore. And uh, this is the man you've got to worry about. Well, we'd have to get Kudus in here one of these days so he tells us why he decides to go and sit on the advertising boards, uh, the uh, LED advertising boards. Uh, gentlemen, um, from a Ghanaian perspective, you'd have wished that it had gone otherwise and some of the, the chances had, had gone in. But here we are. On the days when we score, we leak very badly at the back. Not, that's for sure. And um, I think in the last few weeks, we've been talking about building from the back and yesterday was a clear example of what Ghana should have done right by you know building from the back tactically the coach got it spot on um, I advocated for the start of 4-4-2 system against an Egyptian that are very competent with a 4-3-3 system so if we went 1-1 1v1 they were going to be better in terms of uh, 1v1 against our players so I thought 4-4-2 tactically was a perfect uh, system for uh, the coach and for the black stars but however what we failed to do was to keep the back and you know especially the the, the the defense keep the cohesion that was what the problem was and i've always said that we didn't have a full backs uh you know the full backs for me the left back and the right back yes we saw some good signs from Odoi, but it wasn't enough to really bring that um to, you know to steady the defense into that era we wanted to bring the whole game to another thing is that I also said that Atiziki for me is better than this goalkeeper because, you know, um, for you, for me, one-on-one, um, he's not too good with his feet. And that for me, you saw the goal Mamouche scored, uh, he could have, you know, be a bit, you know, anticipated well and closely, you know, guard the first ball rather than just going down easily. Those are one of the few things. But the most important part of the game was in the 62nd minute, when Ashimiro went off, because when he went off, we moved into a shape of 4-2-3-1 again, and that's where the dynamics of the game changed. Because when Ashimiro was one in transition, he gave an option to Kudus, and so Kudus could actually find himself in those brilliant spaces that he wanted, because he was in transition, he could you know dribble, he could handle the ball, he could make those runs into the half of the Egyptians. That was one of the positive things. The third part of what really also affected our team was the fact that we lost concentration throughout the game. I just think majority of the goals, I've heard a lot of people talking about the Naki pass. Yes, but how about the Odoe who stood and then, you know, Mamouche and the rest of the players came past him as well. So we lost concentration throughout the game. And um, I just think that what, one of the key things and the key lessons for this team is to also make sure that we steady the defense and then we move ahead against um, Mozambique. Well, Victor, we were talking about the defense, and yeah. that's, that has always been an area for conversation in these past few days. I don't know what your assessment is. Um, in my very first piece for my year online, I published it this morning, and I made a case about how none of this should surprise anyone. None of what we saw yesterday 
because it's it's become a recurring theme for the Black Stars. And if you go back to every single game of the last six matches at the AFCON that we failed to win, you would find traces of what we saw yesterday littered across those games. So you have a team that cannot defend. You have a team that cannot attack. You have a team that leaks a lot of chances and allows the opponents to advance too close for comfort. If you look through the numbers yesterday, and generally the two games that we have played, yesterday we completed just 11 progressive passes, um, and that excludes the passes that we made in the final third of the opponent, in the first third of our pitch. If you look at the two games, we made 23 final third passes, one cross from open play, and created no chance. That's for the Egypt game alone. Against Kivet, we made 24 progressive passes, 26 final third passes, and Kivet made more than we did. They made more final third passes, 27, and created two big chances and had four crosses from open play. What that tells you is that clearly this is not a team that is coached to play any kind of attacking football, be it possessive, obsessed, or possession obsessed, or possession dominated, or the direct crossing dependence of football. They don't play any of that. That is why when black stars get the ball, you see the players make a lot of back passes. You don't see players show themselves into space, present themselves as options or outlets to pass the ball to. You don't see too many runs in behind or off the ball runs because they have not been trained to. And those are things that a coach would, would take hours right, to get a team through during training sessions because when the match starts, every move is essential. When a player moves, his teammates are expected to move. So the distance, the team shape remains intact. So everything is calculated and presented together, executed together. So everything has to look synchronized, right? So that's why when Mohamed Kudus gets the ball, he swivels and turns and he doesn't see any options. He wants to take another touch. He wants to dribble again and again because the options don't exist. There are no spaces. There are no teammates who are free for him to release the ball to. Curiously, if you look at the best football Ghana has played in the last year, and that was the final 25 minutes against Madagascar, it was a game that had everything. It had, we moved the ball quickly, we maintained possession, where we circulated the ball into areas where we forced the opponents and stretched their shape. And you had players moving off the ball and presenting themselves as options. It was a game where the handbrake was completely off. We played with a lot more freedom, but... That is the exception rather than the rule when it comes to the Black Stars. Defensively, our problems even look worse. I've already spoken about the chances that we've conceded in the two games that we have played. The other part, and that takes me to the football that we saw yesterday, that for me indicts Chris Hutton, is the in-game management. So the tactical tweaks, the structural adjustments that a coach will make ostensibly to take control away from the opponents, to take away the opponent's momentum, to essentially ensure that the balance of play is in their favor. Either that, either those tweaks or the substitutions. We didn't get that yesterday. So yes, the aggression and the intensity with, with which we played in the first half was good. And I don't think the first half performance that we saw was because the structure that we um, put out yesterday was superior to what we did against Kivet or any of the games Chris Hilton played. It was the same. The only difference this time around was that we moved the ball quicker, we were more aggressive, and we tried to play on the front foot. The issue for me yesterday was the fact that we were forced to sit deep when the second half started. So Egypt knew that they were going out if they lose that match. So what does Rui Victoria do? He throws on Hamdi Fathi and liberates him. He asks him to move forward and join the four players who are attacking for Egypt. So you have Mustafa Mohammed, you have Emma Mashor, you have Omar Mamouche, and then he asks Hamdi Fatih to join them. What that gave Egypt was numerical advantage in every phase of their build-up. And then when they got into the vital areas of the Ghana half, they had the players to combine with, so you saw a number of triangles every time they were in possession. And then when the Ghanaians pressed too close to them, they had the numbers to draw rings around them. And so you saw that they started stretching the Ghanaian players because now they were moving, they were forcing the issue and moving the Ghanaian players out of the comfort zone. How many last-ditch tackles did Gideon Mensah not have to make? How many last-ditch tackles 
did Alexander Jiku make last night. And it was all because in the second half, they forced the issue. They made tactical tweaks. What did Ghana do? Nothing. So you had a situation where the players kept ballooned, ballooning the ball. Egypt will get the ball, recycle possession. It comes back into the Ghana area. Jiku would have to hoof it clear because there was no plan for us to progress play and try to at least end or kill the momentum that the Egyptians were on. So those mistakes that we saw, everything else that happened, all of those mistakes that we love to blame the players for, were the effect of what had already been caused. And I'll be the first to say, as professional players, you perhaps would want to see Osman Bukhari to sense the danger and get the ball out of harm's way before Mamouche picked his pockets. But if you take it back to the first goal that we conceded, you would realize that Inyaki Williams looked jaded. He looked super, he was naked. And it was all because he had taken up positions on the pitch and he had been assigned a task that took too much away from him that allowed him to give to the team. So you realize that of the 73 minutes that Inyaki Williams played on the pitch, he had received just nine passes. Nine. Of the nine passes that he received, one was in the penalty box. The other was in the half space. So of the 73 minutes that Inaki Williams spent on the pitch, there were only two touches or two instances where he received the ball in areas where he could actually be of use to the team in an attacking sense. So you would see this map here, and you see the two touches. So the first one closer to the right, yeah, so you right can side. Yeah, uh, you know, so you can give us an illustration of this one. And you can get to see this is... Perhaps of all the touches that Inaki Williams had, this and this, these two were the most meaningful Inaki Williams had. And that is unacceptable because he is essentially feeding on cramps. Now, the question that I asked myself watching yesterday's game, and in fact every other game Inaki has played for Ghana, was are his teammates finding him less and less because they don't trust him? Because if you, if you are a central midfielder and you get the ball, your natural instinct is to find the players who can move the ball further forward so that you're free. You also get to rest, right? Because you don't want to engage in the play too much. So you hand the ball to the players who can wreak havoc. So why is it that when it comes to Inaki Williams, it is only on two occasions of the 73 minutes that he spent on the pitch that his teammates found him? I don't think it is simply a case of his teammates not trusting him. I think they know his ability. However... The team has not been set up in a manner that would allow him to get significant service and, more importantly, be involved in the areas where he can hurt opponents and be useful to Ghana. So you realize that this, 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 and these are the areas where Inaki is receiving the ball. Often when he gets the ball here, he has two players to contend with, or he's forced to make a safe pass, or he's required to dribble his way out of traffic. Inaki is not a dribbler. If you have the safe pencil here, he's going to look decent because pencil has got pace. He's got a, a bit of trickery around him, even if it's not the most conventional that you'd like to see. So he can be useful in, in these areas. But Inaki is a threat when he plays in these areas. So when that situation happens, you, you ask yourself, who else is being stifled by the team structure and the job description that the coaches have given them? Right? This is Antoine Semenyo. Ordinarily, all of these are things you would want to see perhaps a bit further up the pitch, and these touches being a bit more central, these a bit further up the pitch and being a bit more central. But you can count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 touches that are nowhere close to the areas where Semenyor, by his job description, would be useful to the team. Because we kept hitting a lot of hopeful long balls to Antoine Semenyon. And what was he supposed to do? Feed on cramps. This spot here was the closest he got to scoring a goal. And I think that was the Kudus Mohamed pass that he played to him. And unfortunately, the shot was team. So if you look at both players, and Inyaki Williams especially, yesterday, and as has been the case for a lot of the matches that the Black Stars have had to play, Inyaki gets involved in areas where... where He's not really able to influence the game. And also, we require him to work too hard than he's used to. So there is that. So everything else that we saw, Inaki does not have a fitness problem. I don't, he's played in La Liga all these years. He hardly gets injured. 
So in terms of conditioning and fitness, Inaki is as good as every player you can think of on the face of the earth. But unfortunately for him, he gets deployed in a situation where he does too much off the ball, and by the time he gets the ball, he's tired and he's not able to influence the game. Now, if you look at the other player on the other side of Ghana's flank, Jordan Ayu, for me, was the most disappointing of Ghana's performance yesterday. And we have often heard people make excuses for him and assume that because he's useful at Crystal Palace, what he does in Ghana is the same thing he does. And that's false. And you see, that narrative itself is born out of the jaundiced assertion that the tactical needs of a forward at Crystal Palace would be the same as the tactical needs of a forward in the Ghana team. Oh. And you see, the reality is this. When it comes to forwards in the modern game, the job description has not changed. The requirements do not change. And we shouldn't change it for Jordan. For a forward, you are required to be involved in the goal-making process. Simpliciter. You dribble, you create chances, you send in crosses, you make key passes in the vital areas, or you score goals. Which of these did Jordan satisfy yesterday? And the write-up is of my joy line. We don't want to get into the full aspects of everything that I have put already there. But if you look through the numbers for Jordan Ayu yesterday, he had zero shots. Of the 90-plus minutes that Jordan spent on the pitch, he had zero shot attempts. He made one touch in the opponent's box, and that is this. He had one key pass, made no successful passes in the final third, completed no dribbles, even though he tried twice, and he was dispossessed on six occasions. One of those resulted in the first goal. Because, and that, for me, was what broke my heart, because he had an option. There was a central midfielder close to him. Five yards further up the pitch, there was Inyaki Williams in space. So jo Jordan held on to the ball. So, and yesterday was not one of those cases where you could tell that he was drawing fouls in areas where it could hurt the Egyptians. A lot of those fouls were unnecessary, because... He had the option of releasing the ball to an opponent and maybe allow the players to play with the ball a bit further and take the sting out of the game. Because like it or not, there were instances where the Black Stars also needed the momentum. We needed to build something and give the Egyptians something, something to think about. Because once play stops, every team resets. They assume their natural shape and they get into a comfort zone. So you would have to work again for the spaces to appear. And that was another thing Jordan took away from our game yesterday. And look, what, what was heartbreaking about that was, and we discussed it yesterday on the show, that when players often tough talk before games, it is likely to be one of two extremes. They are going to play brilliantly, or they are going to give you a performance to forget. And yesterday, it was one of those for Jordan IU. And when you consider the fact that we are seeing the big players step up and be counted for their countries. Emilio Insue, yesterday, hat-trick for Equatorial Guinea. Truth Sekong, dragged Nigeria to victory. In the first game, we saw Seko Fafana and Co. We were discussing Morocco and how their players stepped up for them against Tanzania. So what we saw yesterday was a team with deep structural issues. Before you, you carry on, yeah. um, did you see a better Jordan you? Um, yesterday or, or in the first game, which of these games gave the better of him? And was there anything, anything positive to pick away from Jordan's performance yesterday? No, there were no positives. And I don't think you can even point to anything significant from the Kivet game either. And again, I'll remind our viewers and our listeners that when it comes to a forward, your job is simple. Be involved in the goal-scoring process. If you are able to support defensively, that's an auxiliary responsibility that you take on. But you will be judged on your ability to dribble, be involved in the build-up to the goals, create chances, make forward passes, key passes, third runs into the penalty area, and score goals. If he's not doing any of these, and curiously, when it comes to Inyaki and Joseph Pencil and all of these other forwards that we have in the team, we, we question why they are not influencing the game. And, and, and I'm just saying that the metrics should not be different from, for Jordan. Final thing that I would like to say about Inyaki and even Osman Bukhari. 
these are professional players. People should slow down. They will get over it. We understand that they care. We understand that this will get to them. But they are professional players, and they also know that these mistakes draw criticisms. Oh. If Let's... it need be that, say, a psychologist speak to them, I'm sure the technical team and the management will handle it. But eventually, they will get over it. Well, that operation is also one very crucial one when it comes to uh, national teams and organizing them for tournaments such as these, the, uh, you know, psychology element, which is something we haven't played on too much. Yeah. Um, you, um, you know, he was talking about something very critical here, uh, the Osman Bukhari case. Yeah. Now, was taking him off at that time a good decision. I mean, the, the reason that we're given was that the realization came that the incident had affected his play, so they needed to get him off immediately. But what about getting him? I mean, we got a few water breaks and all of that. Why didn't we just, you know, pump him up and tell him, look, it's because we're just discussing off air that yeah. Osman could be a terrible, uh, you know, a pain in the neck for, for any defense when he's in his uh, element. Um, Matt, I just think um, if, if the map can come back, the map yeah. you had before, if it can come back, you will see the heat from here. Yeah. Now, if you look at this side of the map, yeah? Yeah. Or let's just take it back from the Jordan map. Yeah. And uh, on the left side, where he was operating more as a traditional winger mm. rather than a striker, which I've always said on the show, that if you want the best of Jordan, put him in the box. You know, once he's a top there, you can have a sharp winger playing through there. Now, with the Osman Bukhari playing on the right side of midfield, this is what happens. I just think that Osman Bukhari should be playing more up front here. For me, he should have replaced Semenyo rather than bringing him back to the right. Because we had the likes of um, Pencil there, who was a more speedster, who could, ship, who could shape it up here. Now, watch this. If you watch the whole um, Inaki Williams game, he wasn't meant to attack. The setup of the Black Stars was a 4-4-2 setup. It was a tactical setup. It was meant for him to keep the shape so that the Egyptians don't come as 1v1. Because in a 1v1 system, they were always going to be better than us. Why? Are our players less better than them? No. For the fact that they... Should have been here rather than be here. All right. So in a few moments as well, we'll be taking a look at how the Black Stars can practically squeeze water out of stone because at the, as the situation stands now, Ghana is seated at the bottom of Group B. And that's another major conversation as well because, um, you know, we're still looking at qualification. Um, some four uh, third-place teams are going to go through 
from this stage. Unfortunately, we're having to have this conversation again. Uh, last AFCON, we had to have this conversation. We're having it again. And that is the this reality. This time is actually worse because <laughs> yeah. there and is that the, is our reality. There is a calculation for what can happen on Sunday. Mm. Mm. Right? And then there is a calculation for what can happen on Monday. in the other groups mm. as well. Okay, so, so this is what we're going to do. At yeah. this point, we might as well petition GES to take away mathematics from the curriculum. <laughs> because the Black Stars <laughs> at every tournament will engage our thinking caps to the point where you, you will get the mathematics willy-nilly. You'll yeah. get it. You'd have to get it. There's no point going to school for it. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to uh, put these uh, mathematical, you know, problems to uh, Kwejo and Achu here so that we have a good look and a feel um, so that we, we look at the various scenarios and, and have them, you know, on, on uh, you know, at our fingertips and by our palms so that then we can start realistically looking at or realistically forecasting for uh, the next stage of this competition. Well, we're still here on AFCON today. It's on Joy News, then on Joy Prime. Of course, the whole team, uh, the rest of the team is on Joy 99.7 FM, uh, bringing you game plan as well. So uh, all of that is happening right about now. We'll do a round of messages. And after that, we come back to look at the reality on the ground. Who scores who? Uh, who scores less goals, who loses, who draws, so Ghana can go through. This is AFCON today. game on the continent. The Africa Cup of Nations. This is absolutely incredible. From Bunija. Mane! Senegal! Our Africa champions! Absolutely delighted with the goal for his country. Still Salah. Little crossover. Tries to finish it. Egypt slips in the game. Super, super, super goal from Dede Ayu. And it's absolute madness that's taking place here. He's got him! Looks absolutely distraught. Looks ball in and there's 3-0. This is absolutely incredible. This is absolutely incredible. Did you see what happened there? Oh, my word. Wasn't that sensational? So, uh, there it is. It's time to get to the man of philosophy and sport and the man who brings us the statistics. We're going to look at that in a bit. Like I told you, coming up very shortly will be the reality on the ground and the calculations according to the AFCON Today team. They're going to tell us what it is that we have to do uh, to stay in the competition. So, Karim, come over, come join us. Uh, Karim will be bringing us, you know, some um, facts that are aside Karim, good to see you. Everything okay? Yeah, not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we all wanted to. Yeah. We are still. We are still morning. <laughs> Charlie, I woke up at three a.m. and the first thing that came to my mind was the goals. The goals we conceded. Charlie, so shambolic. Uh, yeah. I'm <laughs> um, not. It's Friday. Yeah. And I'm from the mosque. I'm feeling spiritual and inspired. Very well. <laughs> I was about to say that. Yes. <laughs> um. Um, Allah said in the Quran, chapter 14, that is um, Surah Ibrahim, if you go to the Bible, that is Abraham. Mm. Quran chapter 14, verse 7, if you are grateful, I will bestow more favors unto you. And we saw one of his sons, Muhammad Kudus, who healed, but not fully. They are asking him to heal him more, so that on Monday we can co complete the job. But God is asking us to, uh, to be grateful to him. But human beings, you know, say, we would like praise more. <laughs> so I am coming to look at Kudus Very and well. give him his, um, his deal, like well, what he's done. We should appreciate him and ask for more on Monday so that he drag us through. Very well. So if you are looking at the game, the general stars from it, looks like generally we were dominated. And we were dominated, but one man stood out. 
in all that, I want to look at how Ghana depended on him throughout the game in all phases. Looking at possession, Egypt completely dominated us. That is, they had 58% of possession and we had 42. If you are taking out Kudus, who is very much more comfortable on the ball, then there is the only other person that can hold on to the ball for a bit more to give Ghana some momentum is Jordan Ayub. And Kudus did that really well when he's on the ball. The Egyptians couldn't go to him. If you go, he's going to dribble past you. And that is why in the game he had the most dribbles of any Ghanaian player. Then let's look at shots, total shots in the game. Egypt attempted 11 shots in total in that game. And Ghana, almost, Egypt is almost doubling what we've done. We've attempted a total of six shots in that game. Then let's look at what is on target. Egypt again, five on target. Then Ghana, three. Almost doubling what we've done again in every phase. Look at, talking about the influence and how we depended on Kudus in the game. Of the three shots we attempted that way on target, we attempted two of them, and they were goals. And big chances created. That is the dependency I'm talking about. Egypt created two big chances and converted all of them. We created nothing, but we scored two goals. Yes, that's how much work Kudus and the magic he has done in the game. There was nothing sort of like a chance that you'd expect him to score, but he, got, uh, he scored out of nothing. Then let's look at expected goal. This is more telling. Egypt were expected at least to score a goal in that game. But Ghana, 0.31. Of all the five, uh, five, six chances we've created in that game, everything, all of them accumulated to an expected goal of 0.31. That is 31% chance that would score a goal in that game. Uh, that is, and Kudus managed to score how many? Two. That is the dependency I'm talking about on Kudus in that game. Everything we did in that game was dependent on him. Dependent on him. Key passes. Egypt had nine, and they managed to score two goals. We just create, uh, had only five key passes in that game. Then let's look at touches in the ball. We couldn't even go into their box talking about um, creating chance in there to score. Egypt uh, went, had 21 touches in our box. Then we had seven touches in their box. That is three times, uh, two times more than we've done. Then let's go to the next graphic. This is the momentum graphic. How the pressure we've had on Egypt and the possibility of creating a chance out of it. If you are looking at the momentum map, it will come up shortly. Egypt dominated Ghana throughout the game. This is the momentum map. How high the, um, the, the plottings are. That is the possibility of creating a chance at each time. And look at it. The majority of the game, it was like almost all of the game, Ghana was on the back foot. Creating nothing, uh, um, that is why I'm saying that we should appreciate Kudus. We didn't even have, we didn't go close to creating any danger for them in their, in their final third, talking about creating chances throughout the game. Look at it. That is Egypt's momentum throughout the game. Creating, having more of a danger and attacking threat throughout the game. It means that if you are to score and could do score two, it was out of nothing. If you, are, if you are not extraordinary, you can't do that in a game like this. Now let's move on to the pass map. That is even more telling about the influence Kudus had in that game. Of all the 11 players, this is Mohamed Kudus. That was his average position in that game. And of all the 10 outfield players we had in that game, only three of them didn't manage to um, link a pass to him. It means that everybody in Ghana's team was looking out for Kudus because they knew that he's a magic man. If I look, then only three players in that team couldn't find a straight pass to Mohamed Kudus here. That is Mohamed Salisu and uh, Alexander Juku and Inyaki Williams. If there's any question about any player not finding a pass to Kudus, then it would be Inyaki Williams. But that is also no more, that is not surprising because of how isolated he was throughout the game. So there was no question marks there. Out of that, except, apart from that, every other outfield player we had in that game was looking out for Kudus. And that is much of the work he's done. He's, if you're comparing what he's done in this game, it is like looking out for Lionel Messi in that 2019 Barcelona team. He carried the team on his back throughout the season and won them in La Liga. It was much of a work he did alone to win the, team for, uh, to win the game for Ghana, but entirely we didn't help him. If we had defended well, those goals he scored out of nothing, at least we could have won 2-1 if the, we had minimized the errors. But we couldn't minimize our errors and give up two goals to draw. But we thank him for what he's done 
yesterday. Now we are asking for more on Monday. Drag us through. You should drag us through that finish line. As well. <laughs> Karim, before you go, Mats, pay attention to something. Sure. This is Mohamed Kudus. Yes. That was his average position throughout. He is supposed to face the Egyptian goal. Come yes. this way so we see you. Yeah. He is supposed to face the Egyptian goal. Oh. Every single pass Mohamed Kudus made, bar one, was in the negative. Every single pass. Either went sideways. In fact, only two went sideways. Only one went sideways. The rest were all back passes. Back, comfortable, safe passes. Which only means one thing. The options to progress play were non-existent. And that is damning. If in a game that we threw in our best player, and who was supposed to be our creator, right? He sets the tone for how the team attacks and determines which zones we attack, which areas of the pitch we attack. If that player found one player in a good position to pass in all 90 minutes, then there was something with the game. There was something wrong with the game plan. It means we did not equip Mohamed Kudus. And this is important because if you remember, I made the same arguments for Inaki Williams. That they were receiving the ball in areas where they could not combine with their teammates. Conversely, if you look at the heat maps of Omar Mamouche, Mustafa Mohamed, Imam Ashour, they combined a lot, especially in the first 20 minutes of the second half. Because as I said, they had pushed Hamdi Fati further forward, liberated him, and asked him to go and combine with his teammates there. So they would create overloads on one side and flood Ghana's area with combinations and those triangular passes and movements. Essentially, they were able to stretch the Ghanaian team and create those chances. Our structure, our game plan, did not equip our players to do that. Okay, guys. With all of this said, now we want to look at the reality of the situation. <laughs> what happens to us now? We win, someone draws, someone loses. Let's get into the details before we uh, review uh, Nigeria versus Cote d'Ivoire. So the, our first prayer session has to start now. So okay. Get your Bible. Well, Karim has started from the mosque already. <laughs> so, 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 yeah. so get your Bibles, your mm. incense, candles, whatever it is that works for you. Because we are going to need a good result from... So what kind of good result, Chief for Red. instance? Red. Okay. They have a better head-to-head -head than us. Okay. So it will be in our interest if they have an automatic qualifying slot and we don't have to slug it out for the third Okay, place. meaning, meaning they beat Egypt or they, they draw with them? Yes. Okay. No, but today... Mozambique. Playing, Mozambique. Sorry, Mozambique. Mozambique, sorry. Yeah, so sorry. if they win, mm. six points automatic qualification. Very well. That means that is one team out of the equation. That also means that if Egypt are able to, and it's likely, Egypt beats Kivet in the final game, it takes them, and I say this because by that game, Kivet will have nothing to play for. They have six points, they would have guaranteed qualification. So it will be Egypt who will be better motivated, and with the quality they have, we presume that they should be able to get their results. Mm. That would mean that Kivet are on six points, Egypt are on five points, because they've accumulated two now. And then if we get a high-scoring result against Mozambique, and that's where the problem is. When was the last time the Black Stars won a game at the AFCON? And what was the score? 2019. <laughs> <laughs> against Guinea-Bissau. We won by two goals to nil. We would have to beat Mozambique by 2-0 or better. Because we have a goal deficit of one. So I don't even want us to think about the event of Mozambique getting a win or a draw in this game because then you will get a headache. What that would mean is that <sighs> if that will go into the final game with four points and if they draw with Egypt, it takes their points tally to five. Egypt then have three points. Then Mozambique, who by then would have two points, are knowing, will know that they have to play their game of their lives. And as I've said, the Black Stars, the current iteration of the Black Stars are chokers. They choke when the stakes are when the stakes are high. Well, guys, I don't want to think of a scenario where we will be required to beat Mozambique by a high-scoring margin, especially if they also need the results. That's why I'm saying let's pray for a Kivet win today, and also on Monday let's beat K um, Mozambique handsomely. Well, so uh, a good result for Kivet, and let's beat Mozambique handsomely.
Well, I know the people and our friends in Maputo are not agreeing with us on this <laughs> one at all. Um, let's do the highlights from Nigeria versus Cote d'Ivoire quickly, and then after that we'll get down to uh, the other previews for today. All of us in uh, wonderful scenes here. We're underway at uh, Alassane Ouattara. It's Nigeria in the white to get us underway. They're attacking the goal to the left-hand side. Victory is certain. The men will be disappointed with the finish. Now some pressure and a mistake at the back. Communication between Zaidu Sanusi and uh, Stanley Noabali perhaps needs a bit of improving, but in the end... If uh, Equatorial uh, Guinea-Bissau are already out of the, the tournament, they will obviously have a right to get three points off them. Uh, that is the half-time break. Uh, Mustafa Gobel, your thoughts, Daniel, on the first... 23-year-olds for the Ivorians yet to really be tested by uh, Africa's number one. Cote d'Ivoire get us underway. Second half... Cotivar timing their progress. I think that was a little inadvertent from uh, Sangare. Osimen coming through is Lupin on the turn. Fofana gets a foot to it. Osimen stays down. Nigeria on the attack though. He has the ball across. General uh, are doing his uh, doing his job. You know. Uh, you can see he's not playing person. He pulled his JC first and then he, he yanked him uh, and his Echidis. So uh, he's, he's, he's wanting to get it. He already... Well, he's... Uh, it is a penalty. He's listening to the VAR official, who is Mr. Ben Brahman, his referee, uh, Gorbal. Penalty. And he is going to go and check it. So uh, you called it, Daniel. Let's see what the uh, decision will be here from Mr. Gorbal, but... Your Monday is the defender. That's difficult from that angle for the referee to tell. It's an anxious looking crowd. There he comes. VAR check. Penalty. The Nigerians. Uh, Against Fofana, slams it in the back of the net, and Nigeria have the lead. We wait for the final whistle. There it is from Mr. Gorbal. Nigeria have beaten their first Cup of Nations. They'll be, uh, I'm sure, taking all of us in the wonderful scenes here. We're underway at. Uh, Alassane Ouattara, it's Nigeria in the white to get us underway. They're All right, so there it is. Nigeria staging a big recovery and bringing back a whole new dose of hope for their fans. Yes, I just think Africa's made it easy for Nigeria. Uh, Nigeria played well, they defended so well. Africa's had no proper center for it, so they played the ball through the wide areas and it was good for Nigeria to defend. And uh, in the course of play, uh, Osimhen, also for me on the day, apart from posing the penalty, you know, dropped more deeper, played a bit as a number 10. He was part of the build-up in the passage of play. He created a lot of chances himself as well, bringing his players also to the forefront. So it was obvious when he went off, you could see Nigeria's attack was a bit, you know, destabilized a bit. But that's the, what happened, basically. You watch the game and, you know, because made changes, brought Bamba, couldn't affect the game because there was no central target man to play the ball to. And they kept playing on the wide, which was very comfortable for Nigeria to defend. Mm. So, Nigeria back into the stories of uh, who could just make it into the final stages of this competition with that performance. Of course, disappointments, uh, you know, in Abidjan, but it's still not done yet. They've already bagged uh, some three points that like Nibisau are done and dusted. They'll just feature in their final group game and they'll have to pack uh, bag and baggage. Um, let's quickly take a look at Equatorial Guinea and that uh, big result that was recorded uh, yesterday as well. So, Equatorial Guinea, um, you know, they, they, they put up this performance. Uh, there it is. We'll do the highlights, and then after that, we come in for analysis. The, uh, in 2012, the last time this happened was in 2012 competition. Little ball in from Gannett, looking for a swear. He's in on goal. Chance for the first one. It's come. Kamane is not 100% fit. I think that's why he was left out in the, in the first game. But you can see how slow. Kasama. Midfield charge, Rodriguez at the back post, Rodriguez, surely, there's the equaliser. 
throw. Are you going to say that uh, Guinea Bissau have their first goal? Yes, still a goal. It's <laughs> quite a goal. <laughs> it's three in total now at the Cup of Nations finals. Maybe another one here. Franchellino in on goal. Yeah. Coco with a challenge. Penalty. Penalty. All eyes on him now. Review. No penalty. Free kick uh, instead. Koku will have the yellow card rescinded as well. Uh, this first opportunity. Oh! The other end. That's an offensive <laughs> howler and it is punished by Josetti Miranda. This is more uh, of the style we've come to recognize from Equatorial Guinea. Out wide on the left hand. Basile Dong. This should be a chance for Swell. It is. You know, the shot shot from, uh, from the right side. You know, inter-switch to the left side, a good cross, the goalkeeper went for it, you know, couldn't reach it, and I said... Lovely ball through, it's well for the hat-trick! Can he score? Yes, he can! That's the first hat-trick! No, it's not. Flags up. Nation. You know, that, that, that's huge. Now, I wonder whether they might check this. All right, well, let's see what VR will call, but it looks... Uh, change is uh, Marciano Sansa who will get his first uh, opportunity at this tournament for uh, Bissau the goal has been given the hat-trick stands for Emilio Insuelo Kel left footed cross it's a good ball in for Zetorbo he's got one consolation he was way 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 offside no, he's no, no, coming he, he's from come an outside. From I was looking at Berlin. He was... Uh... All right, so Equatorial Guinea have also given themselves, uh, you know, you know, this new lease of energy. Yeah. Um, they are one of the best performing teams at the AFCON in the modern era. Every time they've made the AFCON, they've qualified out of the group stage. They've made the quarterfinal twice. They've made the semifinal once. And in the last two times that they've been eliminated, it's been to two teams who have gone on to win the tournament, Senegal and to Cameroon. And now you have Emilio Insoué firmly cementing his legacy as the country's greatest player of all time. And also, the, uh, you know, the ladies are also doing their, their bit. I mean, we could talk about uh, their national team and that one title that is the only one that's not been won by Nigeria. Well, we'll focus on the ladies another day. But um, let's quickly take a look at today's games. Um, We've, we've spoken about the Group B game, which is of great interest to Ghana, and uh, progress, possible progress from the group stage. Now, uh, there it is. So that, that fixture comes up later uh, this afternoon, in a few minutes from now. It kicks off very shortly. But now we want to throw the focus on that big game where the defending champions go up against uh, Cameroon. And, of course, that sounds like a final fixture which can draw millions of eyeballs from around the world. Senegal versus Cameroon. It's a big one. Um, this fixture is, is one of the most difficult in the history of the AFCON. If you look at the last four meetings between the two teams, only three goals have been scored. Mm -hmm. The last two have not produced any goal at all, and bo they both travelled all the way to penalty shootouts. So even extra time could not separate them. And Cameroon have this weird run of scoring all of their last 23 goals at the AFCON from inside the penalty area. Um, and that includes some penalties that they have had. And so the, they are a team that creates loads of chances, but also high-quality chances that they invariably take. I mean, if you have Kautoko Akambi and then the big man himself, Insambu Bakar, leading the lines for you, you surely know what to expect. And they have continu continued with the tradition. Even against Guinea, we saw Judge Kavan Kudu create seven chances in the game. Before that, the player at the AFCON to have created the most chances was Charles Kabori against the Black Stars of Ghana when Burkina Faso plays Ghana in 2013. So that is the sort of game that I expect. A few chances, um, or fewer chances than you ordinarily would get from matches involving Cameroon because of the history between the two sides. But in the end, you do expect that Senegal will come on top of mm. this one. All right. Senegal on top? Um, I think it's going to be more close than we ever thought. It could even end up in the draw for me because Cameroon are, you know, they, they, they're used to these type of games and they know how to turn on the, the heat when it comes to these type of games. Quality-wise, yes, Senegal are ahead of Cameroon, but I think it could end up in the draw. 
A draw? Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, a scoring draw or? Uh, I think a scoring draw could possibly, yeah. Well, maybe 1-1, one, one. yeah. Okay. Well, let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. Um, Cameroon coming up against Senegal. Senegal are starting off the tournament on a very good note and looking very good. However, this could be a very big stumbling block in their way to winning it uh, twice on the trot. Just before we wrap things up, gentlemen, I want you to give me your quick thoughts on Guinea versus the Gambia. Let me begin with you, Kujan. Yes, Guinea started the tournament very well, um, even though they had a few hurdles there. Uh, Gambia, very good side. I watched them the other day. I think the way they play, uh, especially when they're in transition, they're such a very good team. They have some guys, uh, good movement off the ball as well. I just think it's going to be a very close and keenly contested game. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Gambia beats Guinea. Okay, what about you? Guinea are the better organized team um, with more match-winning ability within their ranks, and I think it, it will come for something today. So there it is, Kivert versus Mozambique, Senegal versus Cameroon, and Guinea versus the Gambia. The Gambia going into this game with the underdog tag, can they do something magical? Can they just turn the tide around? Well, we'll get to see when all of it happens. Thank you so much for watching. We'll be back on Monday to bring you a big review of the whole weekend and also look ahead to some more games. Remember, Ghana will be looking ahead to a final group game which will determine the whole look and feel of what we should be expecting. Thank you so much for watching. Thanks to the whole production team. We'll be back on Monday. My name is Nathaniel Atto and I have love for sport. This afternoon on the marketplace, International Monetary Fund Board said to pass Ghana on first program review and approve about $600 million for the country. So we are in a good place for that uh, engine to be cranked uh, for us to see uh, the jobs back and the projects uh, being done. Um, so that's a good part. Also coming up, as the Monetary Policy Committee gets ready to hold its first meeting for the year, we hear from a finance expert, Dr. Benjamin Amma, who backs calls for a reduction in the policy rate. It is very possible that the policy rate reduction of 800 basis points will happen by the end of year. This is simply because inflation rates for the past three months or four months have been declining. Also coming up, 72% of enterprises perceive Ghana's business environment as lagging behind its peers on the continent. We have details from the UK Ghana Chamber of Commerce 2023 Environment and Competitiveness Survey. My name is Daryl Kwao. Thanks for being with us. Details coming up.
first up, the executive board of the International Monetary Fund is set to pass Ghana on its first review under the fund program later today. This is based on what our business has picked up from persons with knowledge of the meeting scheduled for this afternoon. Now, the board is also expected to approve and disperse about $600 million to Ghana within the next three working days. However, it is not clear for now what will be the IMF's verdict on the current state of Ghana's economy and the challenges ahead. Meanwhile, Finance Minister Kenneth Riata has been giving details on areas of funds will be directed to. He was speaking on PM Express Business Edition. Because we are also fortunate to be able to uh, extend the cut-off date to December 2022, it puts um, all of the projects um, uh, in play in a sense that we can now get into bilateral discussions mm-hmm. uh, and, and therefore they are all encouraged to begin to release um, the resources that are required for them. So we are in a good place uh, for that uh, engine to be cranked uh, for us to see um, the jobs back and the projects uh, being done. Um, so that's a good part. So that's a surety that. that because of this that we are going to see some of these major exactly. projects resuming as well. as well. Yeah. The inflation bit that you spoke about, right. how committed is government to doing what it has to do, food prices and all these mm-hmm. things? for us to see that trend continue because of the broader impact it has on interest rates and cost of living and all that. Some of you, that starts with government in terms of the fiscal discipline. Yeah. Good question. I mean, so um, what is the evidence? Or what else can you assure as as the person uh, that signs the check and when... Uh, a colleague, Minister so, of Georgia, 